From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, it's Shane Begum, with you on this Tuesday, November fourteenth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese President Xi Jinping is meeting his U.S. counterpart face-to-face for the first time in more than a year. Hamas has offered to release up to 70 Israeli hostages in exchange for a five-day truce in Gaza. And voters in Argentina have two wide, uh, widely differing candidates to choose from in presidential elections coming up on Sunday. And coming up in business, China's central bank is ramping up support for the real economy. In sports, the ATP finals in Turin, Italy. In culture and entertainment, China's movie market returns to pre-pandemic box office levels. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping will be in San Francisco from Tuesday to Friday to meet U.S. President Joe Biden and attend this year's APEC meetings. China's foreign ministry says the two leaders will discuss fundamental issues affecting bilateral relations. This will be their first uh, meeting since last year's G20 summit in Bali. Zhao Yunfei has more from San Francisco. There are posters and banners that, uh, you know, celebrating the upcoming APAC summit, especially uh, when it comes to Chinatown. Local Chinese uh, residents are highly anticipating this event and delivering a welcome message to President Xi. This is first uh, meeting, face-to-face meeting since a year ago. For this meeting, China says that uh, uh, China is uh, giving its uh, huge sincerity and uh, playing its role as a responsible 
country. Well, for APAC me uh, meetings, there are multiple activities, but uh, two of the major activities, there's a CEO summit and there's also a leaders meeting. Uh, the topics can cover a wide range of topics and uh, China has been calling for community for shared future gaming in this context. And uh, that includes uh, several uh, layers, several folds, including building a peaceful Asia Pacific and uh, being a, a uh, inclusive and prosperous um, uh, environment and also promoting for uh, green development. Several uh, leaders in the green development industry say that at least the sustainable development is a topic that China and the United States are seeking for common ground. We need to work together to address climate change and all the, uh, and the sustainability issues and all these other issues. China has merged to a very significant player, the world's second largest economy. And uh, U.S. and China and Europe need to work uh, closely for this goal of, of uh, going to uh, zero carbon. And so that is something that contributes to peace and to a more stable world. Obviously, China has really led the world in terms of solar production, uh, is now really taking on a very strong role in batteries and electric vehicles. So there's a lot of common ground there. When you have this energy crisis, actually you have a lot of opportunities. For example, now China has the largest solar panel wind tubing manufacturing capacity. And then U.S. Have really have needed this kind of clean power. And both sides actually really can work together. In this time when we have had struggles between our countries, this is an area that we share an interest and a need and a commitment to the future and generations of the future. In the upcoming uh, days, 21 economic entities as well as about 30,000 representatives are expected to attend the APEC meetings. That was Zhao Yunfei on the China-U.S. cooperation and the APEC meetings. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's hosted financial ministers from APEC member economies and said the finance chiefs agreed to grow their economies with an eye on sustainability. Yellen met Chinese Finance Minister Lan Fuan and stressed the importance of maintaining resilient communication channels between the two countries. There are hopes that Washington and Beijing can, uh, can or rather, can cool some of their tensions. Hendrik Saibrandi has more. The finance minister turned their attention to three different areas, uh, three priority areas. One of them is supply side, and that's expanding productive capacity while uh, improving resilience and addressing inequality, also dealing with issues like labor supply, public infrastructure, and research and development. Then they looked at uh, sustainable finance. Uh, that's the whole uh, climate change affected issue and the whole uh, issue of crypto assets, stable coins, central bank digital currencies, and blockchain technologies, obviously a major issue in the years to come. U.S. Tre Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who's leading these discussions, says these long-term priorities don't obscure the fact that a lot of work in those areas and others needs to be no done now. We need to further improve our long-term economic outlook by boosting labor supply, innovation, and infrastructure investment in ways that are also sustainable and reduce inequality. We need to put ourselves on a sustainable growth path, one where we safeguard our planet while providing our economies with the clean energy 
they need to grow. So a lot on these finance ministers played during these discussions. And of course, overhanging all of this is the relationship between the U.S. and China. The more that the U.S. and China can do to alleviate some of the tensions they've had uh, in discussions over the next few days, the more that can be done on that front, obviously, the easier it'll be for the other economies. That was Hendrik Sibrandi on the talks among APEC finance chiefs. Part of the APEC meetings this week involved the inclusion of women across all sectors of the member economies. It's been a mission of the group for years. John Bartlett spoke with uh, Dorotea Lopez-Garral at the University of Chile to find out what uh, efforts are being made in the South American country. Four years ago, the Chilean city of La Serena was the setting for the presentation of an APEC roadmap for women and inclusive growth. Now, Chile which has been an APEC member economy since 1994, is led by President Gabriel Boric. He came into office pledging to initiate a feminist government. Its foreign policy, like some other APEC members, considers gender and women's inclusion an important part of that platform. However, women of diverse backgrounds continue to face multiple disproportionate barriers to economic empowerment, and progress is not equal across all 21 APEC economies. For more than two decades, APEC has been working to increase women's economic integration in the region. In 2011, APEC member economies welcomed the San Francisco Declaration on Women and the Economy, which put concrete steps in place to realize women's full potential. The 2019 roadmap set out a pathway to address workforce inequality. Since 2019, we have progressed in closing some of these gaps and grounding the debate in economic terms, because before there were some countries which weren't even willing to discuss these inequalities. An update published earlier this year by APEC stated that women's access to finance and credit increased during the COVID-19 pandemic, but participation in the labor force declined. We have an APEC roadmap, a Pacific Alliance roadmap, and when you bring them all together, you end up with action being taken. Members say that while the burden cannot fall exclusively on APEC, they believe progress is being made to ensure economies become more gender equal. And uh, that was John Bartlett in uh, Santiago, Chile. For more on the future role of women and China-U.S. ties going forward after the meeting between President Xi Jinping and President Joe Biden, Sean Caleb spoke with California State Treasurer Fiona Ma, who's had extensive experience in exchanges with China. You've led a lot of delegations from California to visit China and promoting ties between your home state and several Chinese cities. What's that been like personally? And can you give me an example of how you believe it has helped strengthen ties between China and the United States as your role as the treasurer of California? Yes, yeah, so before uh, being treasurer, um, back in 1999, uh, Jeffrey Chang and I, an attorney, would take delegations of elected state leaders back to China. And so all of these years of doing these cultural bilateral exchanges, I think has really helped in strengthening our relationships between California and China. So I do think uh, these type of trips to see and to meet and to hear directly uh, from leaders and, you know, other counterparts in other countries, I think is, is extremely important. And it does lead to mutual cooperation uh, going forward. Well, and of course, China is going to have a big presence uh, at this year's APEC meeting going on uh, in San Francisco. Several high-level meetings are going to take place, including that all-important meeting between uh, President Xi and U.S. President Joe Biden. What do you expect to come out of this, and what does it mean to shine uh, this, this bright light on California right now? 
uh, the fact that the leaders are willing to meet, because we really should be more uh, integrated, right? Uh, the number one importer, GDP, exporter, sure. like what we're all integrated. And so the more that we can get along and work together, I think would create uh, more peace uh, yeah. in the world as well as, uh, you know, better economic uh, opportunities for both countries. Indeed, and 40% of the goods and services come from these two largest economies uh, in the world. And focusing again on the role of women in the global economy, th there is this gender gap. What do you think the key challenges are to women attaining and maintaining these leadership positions? Well, here in California, we have eight statewide elected officials, uh, and four of us are women. We got elected in our own right in a state with 40 million people. So it can happen, but it really depends on, you know, the leadership, the government apparatus, whether we have mentors who are willing to uh, pull us up and make sure that we're in the right room with the right people. And that's across the board, right? I am the banker yeah. of the fourth largest economy. And I'm telling you, like the banking world doesn't look like me. And so <laughs> those opportunities are far and few in between. However, the fact that I am a banker, I am Chinese American, I am an Asian. Now all the banks, when they meet with me, they bring women, they bring Asians to the table. So I think it just depends on who is leading and who is sitting at the table will give those opportunities to others. That was California State Treasurer Fiona Ma on the mission of empowering women. Several high-level Chinese officials have recently visited the United States. During a meeting between Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Washington, the two sides agreed to increase the number of direct passenger flights. The number of weekly round-trip flights between the two countries has increased to 70. It has lowered ticket costs for business people, students, and tourists. And ticket prices have fallen by almost 50 percent on average from early in the year on many routes. A traveler says uh, the current price is basically the same as a few years ago. I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco, which costs me about 5,600 yuan. If I bought a round-trip ticket, it could be cheaper, possibly around 4,000 yuan per trip. Chi Chi with the China Civil Aviation High Quality Development Research Center says the flights between China and the U.S. will boost communication between ordinary people from the two countries. With the continuous increase and recovery of direct flights between China and the United States, the supply of the market will continue to grow, which will ultimately bring ticket prices to their normal levels. It will also lead to another result. The demand of the entire market will increase. More tourists will choose to travel and visit relatives. And the cultural people-to-people -people exchanges between China and the United States will be more active. More airlines are offering more flights or bringing back routes such as Beijing to Washington and Beijing to Los Angeles. Indonesian officials say President Joko Widodo will invite APEC member economies to work together to improve the global economy amidst the current risk of recession. The country is also expecting the session in San Francisco to help boost its economy. Arini Luan reports. Indonesia's Coordinating Minister for Economic Affairs, Arlangga Artato, has said at this year's APEC summit, President Joko Widodo will again invite APEC member economies to work together, especially to improve the global economy amidst the current risk of recession. 
Pertama yang diangkat Bapak Presiden pada President will raise at the APEC summit is the importance of increasing concrete cooperation between all stakeholders between APEC economic members to overcome various global challenges namely the food, energy and environmental crisis and the threat of recession as well as ensuring the long-term resilience of the APEC economy through the digital economy and green economy partnership ekonomi hijau On the other hand, economic scholar from the Center of Reform on Economics or CORE, Yusuf Randy Manilat, said that APEC is expected to accommodate further discussions about current global economic and geopolitical conditions. This means that the APEC can accommodate follow-up discussions from similar conferences that have been held previously and also ensure discussions regarding current global economic and geopolitical conditions. Yusuf also thinks that APEC is a momentum for Indonesia to continue to encourage its economic growth. According to him, APEC is a strategic forum where Indonesia can show how it will achieve targets for direct foreign investment. This APEC forum could be a kind of meeting to help the Indonesian government achieve a better economic growth agenda. Because in the last five years before the pandemic, the government intensively encouraged increased investment growth, especially foreign direct investments. Achieving foreign direct investment targets which can have a positive impact on economic growth, international forums such as APEC are strategic forums because there Indonesia can show what Indonesia's current position is, prospects for the Indonesian economy in the short, medium, and long term. The global supply chain is also among the topics Indonesia expects to discuss at the upcoming meetings. The country's Minister of Cooperatives and Small and Medium-Sized Enterprises, Tatan Masduki, earlier suggested it's essential to build an international cooperation mechanism to enhance supply chain synergies between APEC economies, which significantly supports the development of SMEs to strengthen business competitiveness, increase internationalization of SMEs, and improve SME partnership in international trade. For the Beijing Hour, RSDL in Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh, coming up, Hamas offers conditions for releasing some Israeli hostages. From sustainability and digitalization to trade, health, and energy security, 21 major Asian Pacific economies gather to address the most pressing global challenges and to create a future of sustainable economic growth. Join CGTN for our coverage of APEC 2023. At 16 minutes past the hour, the military wing of Hamas says it's informed mediators that they're ready to release hostages held in Gaza in exchange for a five-day truce. Now, Qasem Brigade spokesperson Abu Abeda says a halt to hostilities should be ensured. In a five-day truce, we can release 50 women and children who are captives in Gaza, and we can release up to 70, because there is a problem of having these hostages in various parties and sides. The truce should include ceasefire and allowing aid relief into the Gaza Strip. Spokespersons also accused Israel of procrastinating and evading paying the price. He says the continued aggression is threatening the lives of the detainees. The Israeli army says it's found signs of hostages in the basement of a hospital in Gaza. The military also claims it found a Hamas weapons cache. Stephanie Freed in Tel Aviv has details. 
is real skeptical. Their, their entire um, premise is until, let's see, as they say, show me the money. It's an expression. Show me the money. Show me the proof. Let's t and until it happens and until there's actually a deal in place, there's no deal. Um, you know, the hostages, that remains a, a, a huge sticking point um, with Israel. Israel uncovered the military, a tunnel underneath a children's hospital, Rantizi, in Gaza. And they discovered what they think is evidence of hostages being held there. And specifically, um, there are some young children and babies. Right now, there is much, much talk about some sort of uh, hostage deal. They were talking about 100 women and children for 100 being held, Palestinian women being held in Israel. And right now, we're just they're just uncovering the military there in Gaza, uncovering more evidence of what they see as where hostages have been held. That was Stephanie Freed reporting. Former British Prime Minister David Cameron says he's delighted at becoming the country's new foreign secretary. His appointment follows Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's decision to uh, reshuffle the cabinet. Cameron says Britain's facing some daunting international challenges, such as the conflict in the Middle East and the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. I hope that six years as Prime Minister, 11 years leading the Conservative Party, gives me some useful experience and contacts and relationships and knowledge that I can help the Prime Minister to make sure we build our alliances, we build partnerships with our friends, we deter our enemies and we keep our country strong. Sunak says he's pleased to have appointed a, a, appointed a new foreign secretary who will uh, build on everything uh, that's been achieved over the past year. Uh, Cameron takes over from James Cleverly, who has replaced Suella Braverman. The cabinet reshuffle came months ahead of the next general election in Britain, uh, which must be held by January the, uh, of 2025 at the latest. Residents in London are showing mixed reactions to the appointment of former UK Prime Minister David Cameron as the new Foreign Secretary. A 35-year-old Amiad Hussein says the move to bring back the former leader is questionable. I was never personally against Cameron. I think he's made a lot of good decisions in the past. But to have him back as a Foreign Secretary, is, is um, I don't think it's a good decision. I think he should be left where he was and get some fresh people into the into the positions you know with the difference view maybe potentially some other residents say Cameron's probably a reasonably sensible choice for foreign secretary a Cameron led the British government between 2010 and 2016 and resigned after the country voted to leave the European Union in a referendum coming up presidential elections coming up in Argentina on Sunday you're listening to the Beijing hour 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. At 20 minutes past the hour, voters in Argentina are heading to the polls on Sunday to elect their next president. They'll have to choose between two starkly different visions for South America's second largest economy, which is suffering high inflation and other economic difficulties. Joel Richards has more from Buenos Aires. This year's presidential race in Argentina has been shaped by economic crisis and by the emergence of a political outsider who promises radical reform. Latin America's third largest economy is languishing under triple-digit annual inflation. One week you have a certain price. The next week that changes. We can't keep prices the same for long. Neither of the two candidates offer a good option for people. I don't support either of them. 
On Sunday, the two candidates sparred in their final debate as they seek to win over undecided voters. Far-right libertarian Javier Millet has campaigned as the anti-establishment candidate. He stood by his radical plan to overhaul the economy. Yes, we are going to dollarize the economy. We are going to close the central bank. We are going to put an end to the cancer of inflation. Government candidate and current economy minister Sergio Massa challenged Millet over the Libertarians' campaign pledge to cut ties with Argentina's two main trade partners, China and Brazil. Breaking up Mercosur, the breakup of the relationship with Brazil, the breakup of the relationship with China, represents two million fewer jobs and an impact on Argentine exports of $28 billion. WIMS cannot govern international policy. It cannot be governed by ideology. It must be ruled by the national interest. This country is suffering its worst economic and social welfare crisis in decades. Well, Argentina is facing um, a risk of hyperinflation because it has, in the last uh, 12, uh, 12 months, an accumulated inflation near uh, 150%. But in the last uh, months is running at 300 percent no, near. And also, we have a 40 percent of poverty and 10 percent of people that cannot eat well. This is a social problem that is the, the, the worst of the last 40 years. Massa won the most votes in the first round, but polling suggests there is little gap between him and Millet now. Voters are faced with two sharply contrasting options. Massa, who says he will work to secure a broad national consensus to guide the country out of the current crisis. Or Millet, who says the only solution to the country's deep-rooted problems is his radical reform and a tough programme of public spending cuts. Argentines will make their choice between those two visions when they go to the polls on Sunday. That was Joel Richards on the upcoming presidential runoff election in Argentina. Efforts to create a landmark legally binding treaty to end global plastic pollution are underway in Kenya. Thousands of representatives are gathering in Nairobi to discuss the zero draft text. The document forms the basis for establishing a global treaty to enhance actions to combat environmental pollution that's caused by plastic waste. Uh, Bjorn Beeler is uh, the international coordinator of the International Pollutants Elimination Network, and he says people should uh, not only deal with plastic pollution but also find alternative materials to reduce the production of plastics. Most people thought about plastics as something that you can recycle, but as science and data keeps coming forward, it shows that there are no safe and circular plastics, meaning there are no plastics that are safe to recycle, meaning the toxic chemicals in the plastics, if you recycle them, you'll put those toxic chemicals back into the market, meaning exposing children and, and families to chemicals that are harmful in new plastic products. Negotiations for a global treaty to address plastic pollution stem from the adoption of a resolution at the fifth session of the UN Environment Assembly held in the Kenyan capital last year. Negotiators hope that the treaty could be established by next year. New York City has unveiled a plan to encourage the use of electric helicopters. The downtown Manhattan airport is set to become the first helicopter or heliport rather in the world with the infrastructure to support electric powered flights. Mayor Eric Adams says airline passengers will soon be able to bypass traffic with the electric helicopters to and from the airports in the city. Adams says they hope that the plan will help to cut down on air and noise pollution and make transportation more sustainable.
you know, within our lifetime, uh, many of you are going to own uh, your own personal uh, electric helicopter. I mean, this is just unbelievable when you think about it. It's no different than a joystick on a video game, uh, the partnership with the companies to allowing our young people to use it now in schools. Uh, we're, going to we're going to have to build out mechanics. We're going to build out operators. We're going to build out who's going to build these uh, helicopters. He adds that the uh, city also wants to encourage delivery services to use electric helicopters to reduce delivery trucks on the streets. The New York City Economic Development Corporation will seek an operator to provide the supporting infrastructure, such as charging stations for the electric choppers. Uh, the city says it expects flights to begin in 2025 or 26. A sheep trapped on a steep cliff in the highlands of Scotland for two years has become an international celebrity. Fiona the sheep was dubbed as the loneliest sheep in the UK. Uh, she's now recovering from her isolation after being rescued. The sheep fell off a cliff two years ago but survived and was forced to live in a cave. Though it was spotted several times, rescue organizations said it was too dangerous to try to rescue it. The sheep was eventually rescued by five farmers who climbed down to haul it back up to the top. Cameron Wilson one of them. Well, being terrified of heights and of dying, I was very, very relieved, I must admit. Uh, but even more relieved that we got her up there without her, you know, having any issues. Stress can be a real concern for an animal uh, like Fiona. But she just kept relaxed all the way. Uh, Fiona the sheep has been transferred to a farm in Dumfries. Uh, its survival and rescue has put it on the pages of newspapers and websites around the world. From the first day I was here, I just loved China. As Why well. China instead of other countries? That's the essence of China. Why the village instead of the city? When we talk about you know, rural revitalization. As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. Everyone knew and everyone cared about it. See around them, people investing in that. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. The village became much cleaner, so that was the best thing because all the families got back together. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China, here on Chat Lounge on CGTN Radio. Twenty-eight minutes past the hour now. Uh, Beijing's down to minus two overnight, followed by overcast skies and a high of nine on Wednesday. Chongqing has a slight rainfall continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of eleven, the highs thirteen. Last is down to minus two, then cloudy and fourteen. Hong Kong's at nineteen overnight, then cloudy skies with a high of twenty-five. Elsewhere, Tokyo's ten this evening. It'll be sunny and sixteen on Wednesday. Islamabad's down to twelve degrees, followed by haze and twenty-six. Bangkok's down to twenty-six degrees, then thunderstorms with a high of thirty-three. In Africa, Nairobi's getting thunderstorms in 24 degrees. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping is meeting his U.S. counterpart face-to-face -face for the first time in more than a year. Hamas has offered to release up to 70 Israeli hostages in exchange for a five-day truce in Gaza. And voters in Argentina have two widely differing uh, candidates to choose from in presidential elections coming up on Sunday. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on The Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. 
mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Oh, this kind of music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company, Deutsche Director of the International the Monetary Foundation. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 ，or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人。There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Bigham, with you on this Tuesday. Still to come,、uh, in business, China's central bank is ramping up support for the real economy. In sports, the ATP Finals in Turin, Italy. In culture and entertainment, China's movie market returns to pre-pandemic box office levels. Contact us. You can email radio at cgtn dot com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtn radio. But first of all, with today's headline news, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese Finance Minister Lan Fuan says the country's economic recovery has sped up, and the momentum is expected to continue in the last quarter of the year. He addressed the APEC Finance Ministers' meeting and noted that China is still a key driver of global economic growth. Lan called for all APEC members to strengthen policy coordination, work to facilitate trade and investment, build a stronger supply chain, and build an open economy across the Asia-Pacific region and the world. The UN High Representative for Disarmament Affairs has expressed concern over about the violations of international humanitarian law witnessed in the ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict. Izumi Makamitsu says bombardment continues hitting civilians, hospitals, refugee camps, and UN facilities in Gaza. Let me repeat the clear, unequivocal position of the United Nations that no party to an armed conflict is above international humanitarian law. Even wars have rules. The official adds that no effort should be spared to help pave the way to a solution with Israelis and Palestinians living in peace and security. She calls for full participation and strong support from the international community for establishing a Middle East zone free of nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction. An international training hub for pilots to learn how to fly F-16 fighter jets has opened in Romania. The European F-16 Training Center at an airbase in Fetest will provide training for F-16 pilots from Romania and its partner countries, including Ukraine. A former MiG-21 fighter pilot has received training on the U.S.-made warplane. The difference between the MiG-21 and F-16 is pretty big. The MiG-21 is an old Soviet jet. 
Well, the F-16 is a much newer and more advanced aircraft with better technology. All of this technology is meant to help the pilot in real combat situations. The Royal Netherlands Air Force will supply the aircraft to the facility, while aircraft maker Lockheed Martin will provide instructors and maintenance. The training for Ukrainian pilots will last for about half a year. The junta that seized power in Gambon has announced presidential elections in August 2025 to end the ongoing political transition. The elections will follow a new electoral code that parliament plans to finalize between January and March 2025. The transitional parliament will transform into a constituent assembly responsible for presenting the future constitution in October next year and will hold a referendum on its adoption. Gambon established a transitional government in early September. The coup ousted President Ali Bongo, who had just won a third term as the head of state. Excavators in northern India are drilling with heavy machinery in an attempt to pull out almost 40 workers trapped inside a collapsed tunnel. They're hoping to fit a wide steel pipe into the debris as an exit. Local officials say all people inside the tunnel are in good health. The 4.5-kilometer tunnel is part of a national highway on a popular Hindu pilgrimage route. Tuesday marks World Diabetes Day. This year's focus is on access to diabetes care. Globally, around 1 in 10 adults were living with diabetes as of 2021. In China, more than 140 million people are suffering from this, this disease. China has included diabetes prevention and treatment in its Healthy China initiative. The blueprint aims to have 70% of diabetes patients under standard management by 2030. The World Food Programme says food insecurity levels across East Africa are likely to remain high through early next year. In its food security update, the UN Food Agency said protracted and newly emergent conflicts, persistent fragile macroeconomic conditions, and high cost of living will continue to impact the food security and nutritional status across the East Africa region. It said over 60 million people were food insecure as of September, with four countries in the region among the worst affected by the global food crisis. Thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's central bank is ramping up support for the real economy. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 36 minutes past the hour, turning to business and starting with the uh, the markets. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Tuesday. Wang Yin has more. Uh, mainland stocks struggled for direction as lending data in October signaled soft credit demand. The Shanghai Composite Index added 0.3%, while the Shenzhen Component Index climbed 0.17% extending gains from the previous session. Investors await a slew of economic numbers this week, including industrial production, retail sales, and unemployment data. The blue-chip CSI 300 index was flat, but the small-cap China export lost 0.2% at the close. 
but the index was still able to keep above the 2,000-point level. Technology and consumer-related stocks led the advance with strong gains from Ice of the Stone, COL Group, Shenzhen Silver, and Chongqing Chang'an. Banks extended 738.4 billion yuan in new loans in October, down from 2.3 trillion yuan in September. And October's credit and money data were mixed, but the composition of credit and loans data showed soft demand. Securities brokers rose 1.2 percent. China International Capital Corp jumped 8.1 percent, and China Galaxy Securities surged 4.4 percent. And that was、uh, Wang Yin in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down nearly two tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained over three tenths of a percent. Official data shows that China's outstanding social financing surpassed 374 trillion yuan, or roughly 51 trillion U.S. dollars, at the、uh, end of October, up 9.3 percent from a year ago. More than 62 percent of the financing went to the real economy. That's up 0.8 percentage points. The central bank's intent,、uh, intensified countercyclical adjustments to bolster the real economy, such as lowering reserve requirement ratios for banks, bringing down interest rates, and rolling out favorable policies for home buyers. Bank says it'll work to maintain reasonable credit and social financing growth, step up support for major national strategies, and lower financing costs for the real economy. The APEC Summit of World Leaders runs in San Francisco this week, and for more on how APEC meetings are boosting global economic cooperation, Michelle Vandenberg spoke with Chu Chung, research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. So first, how can we work together to enhance global economy、uh, growth by coordinating international economic policies? Well, I think more than ever we understand、uh, why we need international collaborations to restore our economic growth. Right? To take a look at the climate change, take a look at the geopolitical conflict, inflation. I think human being more than ever as a total community are facing common challenges than ever. And in order to restore our economic growth, I think the first thing we need to do is to restore the talk to each other. Like APEC meeting, I think is a good example. We really need to sit down and look into each other's eyes and you know talk to each other to understand the thoughts and the concerns of each other. And secondly, is we need to immediately restore the free trade and the international orders. Uh, instead of、uh, you know building wars and、uh, making trenches and、uh, barriers and stuff from、uh, your your neighboring countries, because this trade system has actually made the prosperity we have been experiencing all these years after the Second World War. And thirdly, is technology cooperation. A lot of people are using technology、uh, R and D as a weapon against each other, but they fail to understand that technology is basically the solo key factors promoted the whole global. You know,、uh, in, uh, global investment, global development, and etc. If we just, uh, uh, you know, try to impede each other from getting into the technology, the whole world will suffer from it. And also,、uh, next is financial cooperations. We have seen the turmoils happened in the international financial arenas and international cooperations on the financial regulations. Cooperations is important more than ever. And also, last but not least, is inclusive development. We need to reduce the gap of、uh, countries' development. So、uh, otherwise, you know, poor countries will fall behind further and further. Popularism, nationalism will be fueled, and international cooperation will be less unlikely. So after all this has been done, I think we will move forward and embrace a better future. And more specifically, what steps can we take to support and steer the course of economic globalization? 
Well, just I mentioned, uh, those things are very, very important. And uh, right now, I think more than uh, more than ever, we need to focus on not only uh, the whole globalization in all, but also we need to focus on the South-South cooperation, the cooperation between the emerging markets and developing nations. For example, China and uh, other international uh, players uh, like uh, UN, like the WTO, uh, like all kinds of trade deal organizations and try to make efforts to make that happen. Belt and Road Initiative, AIIB, New Development Bank, is the new player happened in this arena. That was Chu Chung at Beijing Foreign Studies University talking about how uh, APEC meetings are boosting global economic cooperation. Well, China's making steady progress in the pursuit of rural revitalization by developing industries with local characteristics. Products and industries based on local specialties and traditions cover a wide range of goods, from agricultural products to handicrafts. Uh, Dawan Village in Anhui Province has turned old residences into homestays and developed rural tourism. The village has received over 50,000 visits so far this year. A village official, Yu Jing, says they're aiming to make lives better for everyone. Some villagers are developing homestays and rural tourism, while others are engaged in agriculture and livestock farming. We integrate these resources with the aim of providing everyone with more sources of income. Official data shows that in the first nine months of this year, per capita income in the rural areas stood at around 15,700 yuan, or uh, roughly 2,150 U.S. dollars. That was up 7.3 percent from a year earlier. Well, this year's Cross-Strait CEO Summits kicked off in Nanjing, Jiangsu Province, with hundreds of business people from the Chinese mainland and Taiwan participating. Zhang Yibing reports. The annual event draws great attention as this year marks the 10th anniversary of the establishment of the Cross-Strait Business Summit Council, both in the mainland and Taiwan. It is important also because in September, the mainland issued a document supporting making Southeast China's Fujian province a demonstration zone for integrated development across the Taiwan Strait, and the mainland's new entry-exit policies to facilitate more streamlined cross-strait travel and smoother custom clearance will come into effect at the start of the next year. The mainland's top political advisor Wang Huning read out the congratulatory letter from Chinese President Xi Jinping at the opening ceremony of the summit, saying the mainland will continue to be committed to promoting the deepening of the cross-strait economic exchanges and the integrated development of all parts of the Taiwan Strait. The summit includes exchanges in all business sectors and will last to late Wednesday. At interview some participants from Taiwan and the mainland, they said this is an important time for both sides to cooperate more closely and they will want to take this meeting as an opportunity to engage in more cross-strait integrated exchanges. That was Zhang Yibing reporting. Official data shows that the number of registered private companies in China had reached more than 52 million by the end of September, accounting for over 92 percent of the country's total business entities. The State Administration for Market Regulation reports that private businesses are showing strong resilience despite challenges from the global economy and domestic economic pressures. Over 7 million new private companies were established during the January to September period. That was up 15.3 percent. Chief China economist Robin Xing with Morgan Stanley's rejected the comparison between the current Chinese economy and the 1990s Japanese economy. Xing says that China's potential growth is still higher, and the country continues to make productivity gains in the catching up stage. I would say China's 3D debt deflation and the demographics are very different from Japan. 
because number one, China's potential growth is higher than Japan back in 1990s. In China's case, today you still see these entrepreneurs are trying to make progress on their international competitiveness, taking market share from competitors. And all these services sectors are still very much innovative. So naturally, China has a higher potential economic growth than 1990s Japan. The Economist added that China has a lot of room to further use central government fiscal policy to provide a cushion when the economy is facing uh, the debt deflation and demographics downside. Lao will launch uh, the Visit Lao Year 2024 Tourism Promotion on November 23rd, which coincides with the annual uh, Tat Luang Festival. Laotian Ministry of Information, Culture and Tourism says the year-long event will have the elephant as a mascot. The campaign aims to promote the development of new products and services in the tourism industry. It'll also focus on improving the quality of services in line with the requirements of target market groups. More than 2.4 million foreign tourists visited Laos in the first nine months of the year, an increase of 285% compared to last year. That's your business update. Coming up in sports, the ATP Finals in Turin, Italy. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. The Jiangsu Dragons earned a slim 105-104 to victory over the Sichuan Blue Whales in the Chinese Basketball Association. Jalen Riley's three-pointer and free throw helped Jiangsu secure the win in the final minute of the game. Riley also pocketed 21 points. The Ningbo Rockets clinched a second victory of the season after defeating the Shanghai Sharks 103-96. Elsewhere, the Qingdao Eagles claimed a victory over the Guangzhou Lung Lions 101-96. Miles Powell of Qingdao got 31 points and 10 rebounds. In tennis, Carlos Alcaraz suffered a defeat to Alexander Zverev on his ATP Finals debut in Turin. The 20-year-old missed last year's event through injury. His shaky late-season form continued with a three-set loss in his opening round-robin match. Zverev said it's always great to beat the best. Yeah, but I mean, I get along with him well. I have no issues, but uh, obviously, yes, it's always nice to, to beat the best players in the world, and he's definitely one of them. Um, and yeah, it, it's, always, yeah, it's special to, to win on the court again. The loss was the third in a row for Alcaraz. Elsewhere, Daniil Medvedev swept past Andrei Rublev in the red group. Medvedev was pleased with his own performance. Honestly, yeah, I played great. I felt great before the tournament, but that's, that's never the main factor. You want to feel good, but there are so many tournaments in my life I won when feeling absolutely awful before the tournament, so many I lost when feeling good. But uh, I felt good, I managed to put it on the court. First set was really tough, I managed to just uh, uh, get a little bit the upper hand on the most uh, clutch moments, uh, and this helped me in the second, so I'm really happy. Medvedev managed to win in straight sets 6-4, 6-2. U.S. President Joe Biden welcomed the NHL Ice Hockey Stanley Cup champions to the White House. The Vegas Golden Knights won the title in June. They managed to defeat the Florida Panthers to secure their first ever title. Biden praised the team for their success and community work. You're proving Vegas sports is one of the best shows in town. But you're also proving something else about sports. Like all great franchises, you give back. 
you give back to the community. Sponsoring after-school activities for kids and programs for the disabled community. Honoring service members, veterans, and military families at games and hockey clinics. And hosting, hosting food drives and providing grants to help fight homelessness and hunger throughout the southern, throughout southern Nevada. Golden Knights Captain Mark Stone was honored to be at the White House. It's an incredible honor to be uh, here at the White House. Um, as kids, uh, we grew up uh, dreaming of winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, but even over the last five months, I think it's five months to the day that we raised the Stanley Cup, uh, I think it's uh, definitely exceeded uh, all my expectations and everything that uh, has gone along with it. Um, we all come uh, here in, uh, in awe uh, of this beautiful place uh, and have such respect for, for you uh, and the office that you hold. A jersey donning Biden's name and a golden hockey stick were presented to the president as gifts. In American football, the New York Jets have gone 11 straight quarters without a touchdown, but they're not blaming the quarterback. Coach Robert Saley has jumped to the defense of Zach Wilson. He said Wilson is actually playing pretty good and that it would be unfair to blame him for the team's profound struggles. Wilson replaced injured NFL legend Aaron Rodgers after the first series in week one. Since then, he has only orchestrated eight touchdown drives. He has only 11 touchdown passes won in the past five games. Saley is expected to continue with attacking coordinator Nathaniel Hackett to resolve the issue. Fans have been calling for Saley to bench Wilson for Tim Boyle. Despite mounting pressure, it appears Saley is standing by the former number two overall draft pick. England and Manchester United legend Sir Bobby Charlton has been laid to rest. Charlton left Old Trafford for the final time as thousands gathered to pay their respects to the football icon. Charlton helped England secure their only ever FIFA World Cup. Former United goalkeeper Peter Schmeichel said Charlton gave hope to the people of Manchester. Here you have, have a guy who's won the bottom door, you know, run us up twice, won the World Cup, won, won the championship with Manchester United, won the European Cup. He, he survived the, uh, the, uh, the Munich disaster. Took maybe one of the most important parts in, in building, rebuilding the football club, giving people of Manchester hope. Former United striker Mark Hughes also paid his respects. So Bobby was always uh, a presence around the club uh, and uh, he always knew he was there in the background and never really pushed himself forward or, or passed an opinion of what was going on, good, bad or indifferent. But he, he always knew he was in the background and he was there to support everybody connected with the club and uh, um, he was always great company, um, very humble man, but a man that uh, had his heart in Manchester United. Charlton was also a Ballon d'Or winner and a record goalscorer for both club and country. Manchester United bosses are refusing to meet agents pitching clients to replace Aaron Ten Hag as manager. Ten Hag eased the pressure on his position with a 1-0 win over Luton Town this weekend. Despite a run of 9 defeats in 18 games, the Dutchman has the faith of key club officials. This is due to United finishing third in the Premier League and winning the Carabao Cup last season. United bosses have reportedly become frustrated by agents pushing coaches into the running for Ten Hag's position. Real Madrid wants Bayern Munich defender Alfonso Davies to be their first signing next summer. The La Liga champions are reported to be keen on signing a left-sided defender. The Santiago Bernabeu hierarchy has been considering the Canadian during discussions over transfers for next season. Davies will enter the final year of his contract at Bayern at the end of the season. 
Staying with Madrid, reports are claiming they may give up on their pursuit of French superstar Kylian Mbappe. Madrid bosses may turn their attentions to younger, more available options. And finally, former World Rugby Coach of the Year Eddie Jones expects to be working again by January. Several countries and a European club are reportedly interested in his services. The 63-year-old quit last month as Wallabies coach after Australia's exit from the World Cup in the group stage. The team also won just two times in nine tests since Jones took over in January. Jones is currently the favourite to reprise his role as head coach of Japan. Jones's career highlights also include being a technical advisor for South Africa when they won the World Cup in 2007. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, China's movie market returns to pre-pandemic box office levels. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 minutes past the hour now, turning to culture and entertainment. Well, Chinese film markets hit the 50 billion yuan mark in annual box office revenue, and that's roughly 7 billion U.S. dollars. The number signals a remarkable recovery from the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Data from the China Movie Database shows that domestic productions dominated the uh, the box office, generating over 83% of the total earnings. China's box office revenue last exceeded 50 billion yuan in 2019. The figure for 2022 stood at 30 billion yuan. Beijing's rolled out the red carpet for the triumphant return of the trailblazing Philadelphia Orchestra. The orchestra first visited 50 years ago after then-U.S. President Richard Nixon's historic journey to China a year earlier. Uh, Leonie Zumer has more. the 50th anniversary of the Philadelphia Orchestra's first concert here in China in style, we celebrate with a festive reception here at Yao Yutai State Guesthouse, including speeches from the U.S. Ambassador and the CEO of the Philadelphia Orchestra, and also not to miss a sneak peek performance of the Philadelphia Orchestra joining forces with the Beijing Philharmonic Choir in a harmony of cultures and sounds. In the midst of the festive reception, the Beijing Philharmonic Choir, joined by a delegation from the Philadelphia Orchestra, delivered a captivating rendition of the Chinese classic Jasmine Flower. And in a touching tribute to history, Violinist David Booth, who was part of that original 1973 tour, joins this anniversary journey. It's a wonderful feeling, and especially through the years, and of course, especially now looking back on it 50 years, I mean, I realize the importance of this relationship. It is, I mean, we tour all over the world and play in many countries, but especially at this time, I have to say that by far the closest and biggest relationship we have is with China and it's continued to grow on many different levels. Since that groundbreaking tour led by Eugene Ormandy in 1973, the Philadelphia Orchestra has served as a musical ambassador, connecting cultures through the universal language of music. The orchestra's influence extends beyond the concert hall, 
reaching educational institutions, community engagements and resulting in long-term partnerships. This is more than just a tour, it's a celebration of enduring friendship and cultural exchange. That it has been our profound privilege to contribute in a meaningful way to understanding between the US and China and to building connections in the past half century. We hope that our music making will continue to build these bonds between the United States and China, between our people, most importantly, and our cultures for another. That was Leonie Zumer reporting. The 2023 World Expo on Cultural Heritage Conservation and Rehabilitation is coming to Chengdu this month. The event aims to share China's experience in cultural heritage conservation with the world. The three-day expo includes various exhibiting areas with specified themes. Uh, the expo will host over 16 events, including forums. Around 58 past the hour, Beijing's down to minus 2 overnight, followed by overcast skies and a high of 9 on Wednesday. Uh, Chongqing has a slight rainfall, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 11. The high is 13. Last is minus 2 overnight, then cloudy in 14. Hong Kong's down to 19 degrees, then cloudy with a high of 25. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 10 overnight. It'll be sunny in 16 on Wednesday. Islamabad's at 12 tonight, followed by haze in 26. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then thunderstorms with a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi is getting thunderstorms in 24. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 19 this evening, mostly cloudy skies and the high of 27 on Wednesday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Chinese President Xi Jinping is meeting his U.S. counterpart face-to-face -face for the first time in more than a year. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham and the Chinese Capitol, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 